You're listening to DraftKings Network. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com. I just ran across this new website. It's called The Finder. Yeah, I was searching for that this morning, but I actually... You find it? Found it, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Findered it. Oh, no. <laughs> Were you guys lost? Were you guys lost and now you're found? Amazing grace. So sweet the sound of my keys typing thefinder.substack.com into my search bar. There it is. Yeah, I'm glad you guys saw that. I have launched a Substack where my written stuff will be. The home for all my writings. Your musings. My musings. Musings of the written word. I think I've called it my findings. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> my findings will all be there. And you too, Amin, Maze, and the illumination out there can be finders. You can join the community of finders at my new publication at Substack. Well, wait, are we finders or are you the finder? Are we the found? I'd like to think of myself as one of the finders, the leader of finders, the founding finder. The founding finder. There it is. Now, what's the relationship between the finders and the keepers? Well, you don't want to be a weeper. Okay, got it. Let me take that down. The keepers, that'll be interesting to figure out when you find something. I think it's kept amongst the community of subscribers. Maybe there's going to be a subset of finders and keepers. We're going to have to workshop this. Is the founding finder the one going to the keepers and making them losers weepers by taking their, their information, information. Yeah. that the founding finder found? I like this. This is good. I feel like this is a Dr. Seuss riddle. It's definitely a tongue twister in the making. Well, I appreciate you guys finding the finder and keeping that in your mind. I'd like to actually use some of that space to post some of our Illuminati findings or if you're looking for charts or some of the research I do here, you actually want to see some of the charts or some of the data, probably go there. That's kind of what I want it to be is a little playground for some of our findings. Yeah. Whatever can be declassified. Sure. Are you not concerned it might blow some people's minds? Because, you know, you reveal too much to the public. Yeah, We saw what happened with those UFO hearings. People lose their mind. Yeah, but if you lose your mind, you'll find it at The Finder. My assignment. Uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. 
Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, and as always, I am joined by the five-star Illuminati Generals Amino Hassan and producer Anthony Mays, the co-presidents of the Illumination. It is the dog days of the NBA offseason. Oh, early August. Oh, oh, oh. Dog days. We got a big show here today, even though it's kind of quiet in the basketball world. Amin has been boiling over there. Right now, I don't think he's near a mic because he's just screaming into a pillow about a happening in the Team USA FIBA World Cup, some espionage. No, 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 don't, don't clean it up. Oh, you're back. This isn't about the FIBA World Cup. This is about the dirty game of politics, of how even the best among us can be reduced to an absolute villain. Vice! Deceptions! We're going to get into a very inconvenient truth with Amin later in the program, but first... Listening to the agenda with Tom Haberstro and Amin El Hassan. Oh, Bobby Marks. Kitten has claws. Look at this. I really enjoyed this because I've been singing this song all summer long. They say that there's no song of the summer, but they're wrong. The song of the summer is the death of the middle class in the NBA has been greatly exaggerated. Yeah. And the number one prophet preaching this false ideology is none other than Austin Rivers. Mm. This is why our CBA deal that we just signed, and I don't even want to get heavy into that. That thing is, don't even get me started right. on that deal that we got going because it's top heavy. That's why you're seeing all these teams right now with, you either make 50 million or two. It, yeah. It's the most lopsided contract teams. I, I mean, it, it's a joke, bro. I can't tell you how many mid-level guys are signing for vet minimum around the NBA. It's, it's laughable. He's not the only one. There's a bunch of guys that have hinted here and there that the new CBA stinks. And I got to be honest with you guys. I have no idea what these people are talking about. I was staggered when I saw so many people say, yeah, yeah, the new CBA is very star friendly, very anti NBA middle class, which is weird because when you look at the NBPA executive board, <laughs> Yeah. There are no stars, really. I mean, the biggest star is probably President C.J. McCollum, and he's never been an all-star, and he's never been a max player. And the other players on that board are Grant Williams, Harrison Barnes. Jaron Jackson Jr., who's Defensive Player of the Year. Bismack Biombo, Malcolm Brogdon, Garrett Temple. I guess Donovan Mitchell and Jalen Brown. I'll throw them in there as stars. 
but it's not like back in the day in 1998 when it was like Patrick Ewing and a bunch of David Falk clients who were calling the shots. It was just such a bizarre thing. And I knew in my heart of hearts that it just was untrue. But I didn't have any empirical data to unequivocally back up what I knew intuitively, which was middle class has never been better. And then, like a mana from heaven, shout out to David Kahn, Bobby Marks came down with the people's elbow of data. What's that, Kevin Garnett? No middle class? Check these numbers out. Oh, there are more players making between nine and $30 million than ever before in the history of the NBA. Oh, what's that? You want to express it in terms of percentage of the cap? Oh, yeah? It's bigger than it's ever been before? I was like, yes. Drop bombs on all of these bum asses. And you know what? I'm not calling KG a bum ass. He's a Hall of Famer. Good backpedal. Yeah, you better not. I'm worried about you, I mean. No, 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 no. KG's my guy. KG's my guy. He's a Hall of Famer. And to be honest, he posed it as a question. Where is the mid-level bread? He tweeted on Friday. Where is the mid-level bread? You know, he's just asking questions like we do on this program. He is. And that's why he's always going to be a fellow Illuminati member. But I'm looking at you, Austin Rivers, because I submit to you the only reason this thing was top of mind for Austin Rivers is guess what he's making next year? The minimum. Say it, May. Say it one more time for the people in the back. The minimum. Come on, man. Because everybody knows that Austin Rivers is a mid-level player. And if he has to settle for the minimum, then everybody else is getting wronged too. When you guys look at the people who signed deals this summer, who do you say, Wow. That's a lot less than I thought he'd get. Austin Reeves is the biggest one. Austin Reeves, absolutely. But that's not a factor of the new CBA. Wait, do you think Austin Rivers mistook Austin Reeves' contract? He was reading the wrong stats this whole year. Oh, man. He looked in Austin R. Yep. Saw some really good numbers. Austin R with some E's and then an S at the end. He thought it was him who was putting up these stats. Mm -hmm. That makes so much more sense. That'll happen. This is the part where I think it's fascinating. Like Austin Reeves, I agree with you, Maze. Draymond Green is another one. I thought he went for lower than what he should get at only $25 Although that, again, would be decidedly not a vast pay cut or whatever. Kyle Kuzma, you could argue 22 and a half was a little on the low side. Some might look at Russell Westbrook signing for barely. That's a good one. So Russell Westbrook is a case of a guy who wanted to play somewhere where they quote unquote got him. He'd had a little bit of a tumultuous last couple of years bouncing around with teams and didn't really appreciate what he did. He found a home with the Clippers. It's literally in his hometown. To me, this is no different than David West opting out of $12 million to sign with the Spurs for minimum and then the Warriors for minimum. That's a guy who could have made more if he went somewhere else, but he he knew what what would come along with that. But let me read you guys some names. And I'm going to say the name of the player, and then I'm going to ask you, is it a star or not a star? Jeremy Grant. Star? Not a star. Not a star. No. Paid like a star. $32 million a year. Fred Van Vliet. Star? Not a star. Star. You think he's a star? Tom? I do. I do think he's a star. He's not a name star, but I do think he's a star. Yeah. I think you kind of have to be a name star to be a star, no? He's a no-name star. He's a no-name all-star. Shout out to Shane Battier. He's a one-time all-star. I think Tom is 
run into the ditch here on this game that we're playing. How about fairly paid or overpaid? Is that a better <laughs> game for you, Tom? Delete, delete, delete. No star, not a star. No, I don't want to play. Everyone's fairly paid. Everyone's fairly paid. My point is this. Fred Emily's a one-time all-star. Is Wally Zerbiak a star? Was Andre Kirilenko a star? Jamal McGlure. These guys are one-time all-stars. You had a good year on a good team. That's not a star to me. That's recognition. You did it. Goran Dragic wasn't a star. I'm not saying any of these guys aren't good players. I'm just saying, not a star. $43 million. Cam Johnson, star or no star at this point of his career? No star. 23.6. Chris Middleton at this point of his career? Would not say he's a star right now. Yeah. Not anymore, all right? $31 million. Kyle Kuzma. 22 and a half. Dylan Brooks, 21 and a half. Jakob Pertle, 19 and a half. Max Struess, 15 and a half. Austin Reeves, 13 and a half. Bruce Brown, 22 and a half. Herb Jones, 13 and a half. Grant Williams, 13.3. Roy Achimura, 17. Brooke Lopez, 24. Dante DiVincenzo, 11.7. D'Angelo Russell, 18. Kobe White. Kobe White? I thought he was going to be out the league. He's making 12 a year on his new deal. Matisse Thybul, 11 a year on his new deal. Gabe Vincent was playing for Cracker Jacks 24 months ago. He's making $11 million a year. Karis LeVert, 16. Jock Landale, another guy who was almost out of the league, eight and a half. Okay, okay. Dennis Schroeder, 12-7. Paul Reed, 7-9. Joe Ingles, can he even walk anymore? He's literally got like those little wheelchair wheels on the walrus from goddamn Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He's making 11. Ayo Dosumu make it 7. Trey Jones. Trey Jones. I mean, I mean, it looks like to me, Austin Rivers did not go to the same school as his father. His father got a PhD mm -hmm. and it seems like Bobby Marks has taken Austin Rivers to school. Let me tell you guys this. Let's play this game. The guys that are actually legit. Wow, that's all you got? Because I got some names for you. Dwight Powell, $4 million a year. Yeah. Seth Curry, $4 million a year. Yeah, that's probably the most surprising one. Eric Gordon getting minimum two years, six and a half. Yeah. Josh Richardson, minimum 2.9. Josh Okoki, 2.9. Thomas Bryan, although I know he's kind of had a shitty couple of years, 2.7. Damian Lee, who at one point was the best three-point shooter in the league last season, 2.7 minimum. Well, so the Phoenix guys took a discount to play in Phoenix because they had no extra money to work with. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the guys we mentioned earlier, Austin Reeves, Draymond Green, Dwight Powell even, stayed with their team on team-friendly deals mm -hmm. or more team-friendly than they could have gotten in a wide-open market. But those aren't people who... We're looking for more money, couldn't get it anywhere else, and had to settle right. for less money. And I think many of these names, when you start to get it to the minimum guys, right? I think Seth Curry is actually one of the... That's probably the poster child right there. Yeah, like, wow, he signed for four? Jalen McDaniels was the one I was looking for, who's also another one undervalued. But most of these guys are either guys, better days are behind them, Eric Gordon, Derek Rose... Or, like May said, they made a choice to be a part of something that they think can be special, and they'll take a little discount for the year. Or they've got some sort of baggage with them. Mm. Jackson Hayes, someone said, oh, I can't believe it. Hey, Jackson, what has he done? Yes, he's an impressive talent. He's only 23 years old. He's kind of been a up in the NBA. Cam Reddish, he's been a up in the NBA. These guys are not supposed to be getting big money. Right. I think you can just go to Bobby Marks' tweet and... 
I think it's so important for people to look at these numbers, not in dollar signs, but in percentage of the cap. Mm -hmm. And he highlighted this in his tweet that there are 99 players who are earning between five and 10% of the cap 99 for this upcoming season last year. That was 66. Okay. The middle class is getting that bread. Well, Tom, those 33, are they coming from the higher percentages dropping down? No. In many cases, it's that they're coming up from the, the lower tier between two and 5% and moving up, getting from low level to mid level. Mm. That bread is growing for those guys. Do you think KG only eats the middle pieces of a loaf of bread and throws away the end pieces? Is that what he's worried about? No, I think he doesn't know. I think he's confused, right? He's asking questions. He doesn't know what part of the bread he's eating. He sees a crust. Mm. He doesn't know whether it's the top end or the bottom end or the middle. Gotcha. And he's just asking questions, Maze. I would say the biggest thing that most people don't understand, I'm not talking about KG. I'm talking about most fans, most people, maybe some players, although it's interesting to me that players, active players don't understand how this thing works, is when you hear these max deals, particularly these extensions yes, that are based on futures, right? That's based on a percentage of a cap that we expect to go up exponentially. And especially because of the cap smoothing, where we won't get a one-year spike like we did last time, what we're going to get are 10% raises, I believe, is the cap raise from year to year. So we can almost plot it out. Cap's going to go up 10% and 10% and 10%. And so when certain people tweet out, oh, the richest average annual extension ever in the history of the NBA for Anthony Davis, like, it's just lip service. He just happens to be the first guy who is eligible. Yep. But as time goes by, he will be overpassed. It's almost like the daisy chain in Cinephobe, I mean. Mm-hmm. It's always the deepest. Isn't it always the richest extension in NBA history? Yes. It's always the biggest average annual value. And so Jalen Brown, Anthony Davis. Jalen Brown had the record for what, like six days? Hope you enjoyed it, Jalen. Well, he still has the total overall package because Davis is only a three-year extension. Mm. Which is kind of the point is that every sixth day, depending on which player is eligible, will have the record contract. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, the point you're making is that these are all pegged to the salary cap. But in Anthony Davis's third year of the deal, his money isn't being pegged as a percentage of the cap that year. He's actually probably making less locking in now. Yes. If the rise of the cap outpaces his percentage raises. Explain. So right now, Anthony Davis is signing a three-year extension. Mm -hmm. The raises are pegged on his initial salary. So in year one of the salary, he's getting a percentage of the cap. And then every year after that of that extension, his salary bump, is pegged to the initial salary. Mm -hmm. It is not pegged, let's say, in 2026 to the salary cap that season as a percentage of the salary cap that season. It is pegged to his previous year. Not even his previous years because the raises are not compounded. The raises are limited to a percentage of the base salary in the first season of the contract, right? So... When Anthony Davis gets an 8% raise on whatever the first year of his deal is, they do the 8% of whatever the first year of his deal is, his raises after that are literally that amount. So out of simplicity's sake, right, if he signed 
$10 million in the first year of his deal. 8% of that is 800000 So he signed a three-year deal. It would be $800,000 raises each year. It wouldn't be 8% of 10.8. And if the cap goes up 10% every year, as we can expect, that means he's actually leaving money on the table, losing money each year in terms of a percentage of the cap. So if he starts in the 35% and up bracket, mm -hmm. by the end of his deal, he might've dropped down to the 30 to 35% bracket. And this follows the discussion we had with our truth teller last week, Scott Kaplan, mm -hmm. who explained that the top end of the market, the Anthony Davises of the world or the Jalen Browns, they're almost subsidizing the mid-level bread. The LeBrons of the world, the Luka Doncic's of the world, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's of the world. They could be and should be making a whole lot more. So save me the clutching of pearls of Austin Rivers being like, all these guys, all the big max deals are being stolen away from the mid-level. It could be way worse, Austin. It could be way worse. These max guys are leaving millions of dollars onto the table by agreeing to be part of the union that is representing its constituency, which is the 500 and change NBA players, the members of the union. So if you just do a little bit of studying, little bit of homework, you'll come to the same conclusion, which is there's plenty of guys. Listen to that list again that I mean read off. All these dudes, they are not making the same money that they should be getting based on their all-star votes or their productivity. They are getting that bread because LeBron James and Steph Curry are giving them that bread. Because they don't make what they should be making in any given year, but even under the rules of the game itself, right? That's, I think, the crazy part of this that a lot of people don't understand. Even within the context of maximum individual salaries, they're still leaving money on the table because of what we just described, where their salary goes up at a curve that's rather shallow, mm. whereas the cap is going up at a curve that's very steep. And so as time goes by, there's a delta. Now, in an ideal world in which Anthony Davis never gets hurt, he would never sign this extension. He would just sign a one-year or two-year deal with a player option on the second year. And then when the cap goes up by 10%, as we expected to, opt out, reap the benefit, jump up 35% of the cap again and again and again and again. LeBron used to do this. Which is what LeBron did for yes. many years there in the mid-2010s. Exactly. What he was doing was two things. One was he was keeping Cleveland honest, yes. right? Making sure <laughs> that they were doing everything. I could leave at any moment. I'm not committing <laughs> to any long-term future. But the other important thing he was doing was maximizing his salary. Because if he signed a four-year deal at the time, what was going to happen was his money would increase at a slow, steady rate while the cap was exploding. So by virtue of being able to opt out every summer, he was leaving the door open for himself to maximize his earnings and make a lot more in the same amount of time than he would if he locked into a long-term deal. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how the stars help you out. Whoa. But LeBron didn't get to say, I signed the richest extension in NBA history. He just had to settle for the max salary every year. You know, that's not as satisfying. Poor guy. He's more than an athlete. I mean, he also is the billionaire. I think he'll settle for billionaire. I think that sounds pretty good. That's a pretty good haymaker, right? He's more than a billionaire, Tom. More than a billionaire. That's a new <laughs> Spring Hill documentary. <laughs> more than a billionaire. Shut up and billion. <laughs> Thank you.
Bobby Marks, our friend of the program, fellow Illumin Army soldier. No, officer. He's an officer. Yeah, he's got badges. Saying there was a healthy debate this past weekend. And there's another healthy debate going on. Which team should Joel Embiid play for come Olympics in Paris? Hey, I'm going to stop you right there. That's not a healthy debate. It's an unhealthy debate and one that only someone of my talents can have. It's time for an inconvenient truth, boys. It takes time to connect the dots. I know that. I know but that. also, I know that there could be a day of reckoning when you wish you connected the dots more quick. More quick. What were we thinking? Why did we wake up when we had a chance? Move it! The mollusks are blowing up! What gets us into trouble is not what we don't know. It's what we know for sure. That just ain't so. so. A man's inconvenient truth. Communicate this real clearly. The only way I do it. City by city, person by person, family by family. There are a lot of people who go straight from denial to despair. Without pausing on the intermediate step of actually doing something about the problem. Problem. A man's inconvenient truth. You guys got a gander at old Team USA play Monday night? Yeah, Austin Rivers. Oh, wait, I nope. mean, Reeves. Nope, yeah. The checks are going to the wrong place there. Austin Reeves, yeah. Jalen Brunson, everyone's singing his praises. Huh? What a leader out there. Oh, the leader of the team. All those Villanova guys. I love them, man. I can't get enough Villanova players. I think Leon Rose agrees with me on that one. But there was one guy out there I was like, ah, weren't you supposed to be somewhere else? It's the one and only Paolo Bancaro. Now, you guys might remember a couple of months ago on an episode of Basketball Illuminati, we talked about this. We talked about how Paolo Bancaro last fall was all set to play for the Italian national team. He had told his teammate RJ Hampton on RJ Hampton's very wistfully named podcast. What is it called, Maze? Young Person Basketball Podcast with RJ Hampton. Rolls right off the tongue. He told RJ Hampton that he'd be playing for the Italian national team. His father, of course, is an Italian national. They worked hard to get him his Italian citizenship. There was a whole plan in place. And then something happened in between then and now. And Paolo Banquero decided, nope, going to play for Team USA instead. And so the Italian national team obviously was not very pleased about this. Tom, I believe you have the quote from the Federation president. Gianni Petrucci voiced his frustration. I'm getting this quote from The Athletic here. In an interview with La Gazzetta dello Sport, quote, betrayal, especially in basketball, is a strong word. Situations like this happen, and personally, I'm used to it. But he fooled us. Yeah. We were planning a great commercial strategy for him. My favorite part of that is especially in basketball. Ooh. Nothing burns quite like basketball betrayal. <laughs> yeah. I imagine Johnny Petrucci did the chin flick. Mm. Yeah. In the middle of that, you know, just to absolutely dismiss Palo Bancaro. But the reality is the Italians, they had a thing set up here. And as you guys may or may not know, these national teams, they're not like Team USA with this war chest of millions of dollars from sponsorships. They got to work hard to sell sponsorships, oftentimes playing in exhibition games with literal sponsors on their jerseys doing whatever they can to scrounge up enough money to fund the program that's not just for the senior national team, but for all the under-19s and the under-22s and under-16s and every other division below them. So for Italy to land the number one overall pick and a guy who ended up having a monster rookie year, that was a big deal for them. That was a cash cow for them that was going to fund their program for years to come, which 
in turn, of course, would make Italy a stronger basketball nation in the future as they're developing their young talent. So you can understand why this is a real kick in the balls for Paolo Bancaro to play for a team that, quite frankly, doesn't really need him. Not from a money-making standpoint and not even from a basketball talent standpoint. So Bancaro, he makes this decision. And he tells Joe Varden of The Athletic, you know, Joe asks him, what made you change your mind? And he mentions his mom played for Team USA. His mother was an accomplished basketball player in her own right. And there's that part of it. Although I kind of feel like that would be something that would have come up Oh, I don't know, 8 billion times between the ages of 0 and 20 when this conversation is happening, right? There's something else, something new, something unprecedented. And what it was, was a conversation with one Grant Hill. Grant Hill, you all know him, you love him. He's Team USA's managing director, Hall of Famer, a dookie. He's also an Orlando resident, and he's also a former teammate of Paolo Bancaro's agent. Who's his agent, you might ask? Tom, who's Paolo Bancaro's agent? Mike Miller. Oh, wait, do you mean some random white guy named Mike Miller, like the one who was an interim coach for the Knicks for a little bit there? No, this is a former Orlando Magic, Miami Heat, Mike Miller. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Mike Miller from University of Florida. Mike Miller, great friends with Tracy McGrady, and then played with LeBron, et cetera, et cetera, right? So you've got Grant Hill, who already knows the kid, through Duke. The Brotherhood, as Duke alumni call themselves, the Brotherhood. Whatever. Get out of here, Shane Battier. Love you, Shane. And then you also have him knowing the agent. And what we have here, ladies and gentlemen, is some good old-fashioned Cold War-era American counter-espionage efforts. He literally stole this child from out of the arms of his Italian background and lured him away. And I know what you're thinking, but I mean, Grant Hill's a nice guy. He wouldn't do anything untoward. What's happening with Joel Embiid right the hell now? That's right. Grant Hill brazenly in an interview with Mark Stein revealed they're working on getting Joel Embiid secured for the 2024 Olympics. Now you might say, I mean, I read a few months ago that Joel Embiid just got his U.S. citizenship, tale as old as time. We've seen it with Hakeem Olajuwon. We've seen it with other players that get naturalized and then they get recruited to a national team. What's the big idea? What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. Joel Embiid also recently received his French naturalization, his French citizenship. Hmm. Last week, we forgot Rudy Gobert played for the Minnesota Timberwolves and said Carl Anthony Towns played the five. That was unacceptable. I was practicing with the national team and I missed my basketball Illuminati recording, but that will not stand. But we'll stand if Embiid takes his spot as the starting five. C'est moi. Thank you, fake Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert. So Joel Embiid, again, People bent over backwards to get this guy French citizenship. It was all part of the plan. He'd been brought in. This is a guy who's been on their radar for a while. And in comes Grant Hill, like a basketball version of the Americans. Tinker Taylor soldier spy. 
and whisks them, or at least he's attempting to whisk them, from right under their baguette-smelling noses. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, what we are seeing is not just a case of, oh, I'm Grant Hill. I'm just trying to get the best possible players for Team USA. No, this is a playbook that has been run and executed by the CIA decades over across the lands. What we are seeing is regime destabilization. Grant Hill's not taking these players because Team USA needs the best players. Grant Hill is taking these players because they don't want to have teams be good, mm. have teams, have players that they can't guard, have teams that they can't deal with. We already know. This makes me think of freaking Justice League, Batman versus Superman, the whole thing with Bruce Wayne, Ben Affleck's Batman, where he's like, hey, there's this thing called Superman, and I don't know if he's going to be on our side or not. So I've got to do this thing where I recruit all the other supernaturals in an effort to make sure that we don't fall into this shit. They already have these supernaturals out there. These kaijus. Name Jokic. Name Giannis. Name Luka. Victor Wembanyama. What Grant Hill is doing is making sure none of them get any stronger. And they're doing that by taking these assets away from the other teams and making them USA property. Because here's the ugly secret, guys. Once you play for the national team, the senior national team, you can't switch again. You can switch at youth levels. Mm. Once you get to the senior level, that's it. You're minted for life. Like if you're going through a messy divorce and you meet with all the best divorce attorneys in town, forcing them to conflict out and not be able to represent your former spouse. So, and Carol plays for Team USA now in the World Cup. They never have to select him for Team USA again if they don't want to. They just made sure he can't play for anyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Grant Hill is an evil genius executing a CIA-level plan of regime destabilization across the world. And that is today's Amin's Inconvenient Truth. This feeble World Cup situation has escalated. <laughs> oh, wow. That's an Easter egg of a callback <laughs> that nobody's going to get. <laughs> Two can play that game, you piece of shit. <laughs>used to play NBA Jam, what was your go-to team? I liked Seattle because Sean Kemp could dunk and Gary Payton could shoot. Great combo. Yeah. For me, probably Shaq and Penny. Oh, that's a good one too, yeah. Classic. You know who I never played with? Who's that? The Detroit Pistons. Why not? You usually need that balance of guard and big man. You don't want yeah. two guards. I don't really want to play NBA Jam with Bill Ambeer. Yeah. Doesn't sound too fun. That's true. That's just me. But 
Maybe I've been missing out this whole time. Why? What do you mean? We found a video from the creator of NBA Jam, and he had this to say. I grew up in Michigan, so I'm a big uh, Detroit Pistons fan. Uh, so they had all these kind of techniques to contain Jordan. Uh, and then he just surpassed, and he just got over the hump. And so I was uh, unhappy with uh, what had happened to the, to the Pistons. Uh, and so that was my only way to kind of get even or to get back to make a difference. Uh, and so in the game, if the Bulls are ever playing the Pistons, uh, it's in the last five seconds of the match. Uh, if the Bulls take a shot that will win or tie the score, then I throw up a brick. So there's actual code in there that uh, prevents them from uh, winning that type of a matchup. My whole childhood was a lie. Why, did you play with the Bulls? You're telling me NBA Jam, which is the most realistic game, the somersaults in the air, the flame throwing. He's on fire. You're telling me, Maze, this was rigged the whole time? In a very specific, very niche, very personal way. Yes. NBA Jam, like many games, was fixed. Boom, shaka, laka, lie. Boom, shaka, la, fraud. Mm -hmm. Boom, shaka, laka, gate. I like how it wasn't even a cheat code. It was literally, no, that's how the game was coded. Yeah, good luck scoring. No game winners. Yeah, no game winners, no game tie-ups, right? The only way you could win with the Bulls against the Pistons is if you were beating their ass, which is fitting because that's how the real-life Bulls beat the real-life Pistons. By beating their ass mm. unequivocally. It was a sweep. What's weird about this to me is it wasn't like Detroit didn't have their way with Michael early in his career, right? It's not like the, I'm oh, sorry, Suns and the Spurs. It's not like Cleveland, right? Where the Cavs never got the best of Michael. The Utah Jazz, right? It's not like this guy's a Utah fan. Yeah. And he had never bested Michael Jordan in the playoffs. This is the Pistons. Right. Jordan rules. All of that. They're in a book. You had Michael Jordan on the ground losing in the NBA playoffs and you still feel the need. The fire burns within so much that in an NBA jam two versus two tournament video game, you had to put in code that would prevent that made sure the Chicago bulls could not hit a go ahead shot or to tie in the last five seconds of a game. I think he actually showed a lot of restraint. He could have made this glitch or this code a lot more severe like NFL blitz. Yeah. yeah. Or just when the Pistons play the bulls, Isaiah Thomas doesn't miss or the guys get knocked down very easily. Yeah. Bill and beer. Anytime he's like near Michael Jordan, it doesn't even have to be touching him. Yeah. Michael Jordan just collapses onto the ground. He gets knocked to the ground. I'm with you. Maze. I guess that's a lot more obvious. I'm surprised. Nobody noticed. Do you think that he has one friend who knew that he would play the game with who would be the bulls. And this was to get this one guy. It wasn't even about Michael Jordan. It was about his friend in the neighborhood. I love this theory. And he's like, yeah, why don't we, this little game I made, I mean, who knows? And he kept it close on purpose. I'm a Pistons fan. I know you're a bulls fan, uh, but let's just play. Yeah. Let's just see how it goes. Thanks for playing with me. Oh man. You missed it again. It's crazy how Michael Jordan keeps missing these last second shots. Yeah. It must be you. Look, I'm going to tell you this, man. This is Live 97 or 98, I want to say. In, in the dorms, we played this religiously. And I had this friend named Desmond. Desmond was awful at this game. Was he the bane of your existence? Literally, I think I remember him winning either once or twice out of like hundreds of games against at least 17 different people. 
He never get killed. He just couldn't win. It would be a close game, and then it wouldn't be a close game. It'd be over. But there was this one game I'll never forget. Desmond was playing my buddy Will. Desmond had the Sonics, and Will had the Lakers. Desmond was up to with like 0.5 seconds to go. And we're like, holy shit, it's going to happen. And Desmond started raising the roof. And we said, that's a bad omen, man. But Desmond felt like secure in this. There was like barely any time. So Will comes out of timeout, throws the ball into the corner to what we think is Glenn Rice, who hits the game-winning three. I'm like, oh, wow, Desmond, you lost again in pretty ridiculous fashion. We watched the replays like, oh, that wasn't Glenn Rice. That was Shaquille O'Neal. He lost a corner three from Shaq. And that was the first time I thought to myself, maybe this game is rigged just a little bit. Because we thought about 0.5 seconds left. We all thought it was Glenn Rice and it was a heavy contest. The shot was made. And it's one of the most devastating video game losses I've ever seen in my life. Boom, shakalaka! 